Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. I recently went on the Infinity Nation podcast to speak with the founder and CEO, Al Keck, to discuss what Q4 looked like both in the UK and in the US. Today, we are bringing that discussion to this episode. And now, over to my conversation with Al. We caught up before Christmas, or I think just at the beginning of November last time, and we both had some interesting views on what was going to happen in the run-up to Christmas and what Q4 was going to look like. So, as agreed, I thought it'd be great to have a catch-up and hear what happened on you in America and what you saw in the Q4, and I can share with you what we saw in the UK and into Europe. I think one of our biggest concerns when we last caught up was the eight-old challenge around was there going to be enough packaging materials and cardboard shortage, but also stock. So it'd be great to hear what you heard from saw from your side in the end. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about the cardboard shortages and and just I would say one of the bigger ones I also started to notice was the increase in energy prices, right? So that's affecting yeah. the cost of both manufacturing and shipping. And I think that's one that a lot of businesses you expect some fluctuation there, but as that started to increase, that was one that was a concern going into Q4. Not only the cardboard side of it from a shipping perspective, but I would just say you know, the global computer ship shortage of just manufacturing components. I know a lot of car dealerships who are without product because they don't have the chips for in the cars. Shipments being delayed for other technology devices as well because of the lack of computer chip manufacturing and just the impact there. So there's definitely some things going into Q4 that I think attributed to a potential smaller increase in e-commerce spending that we saw. And, and we can talk about that more later as well. But I think those are some of the bigger concerns. And then lastly, and especially here in the U.S., is just we've had some really strange stories about delivery drivers and just a shortage of delivery drivers as well. I know all the big shipping logistical providers are, you know, really trying to hire the driver side, but then they ended up with drivers who just didn't want to work and were dumping packages into ravines and driving away and leaving them there. And so it was just a, a really weird impact that honestly, I've never seen really reports of before. Yeah. All of the above, I think has been seen this side as well. So last time we caught up, we were just going through a challenge around fuel price increases. So obviously making mm -hmm. how much it was costing to put fuel in a van to then be the end of mile delivery was we were starting to see couriers put surcharges in place, which was interesting. The cardboard shortage, yeah, I think people started to feel the pinch on that a bit, but it but it but wasn't massive. But I agree with you, the energy price. And I think what we're really seeing at the beginning of this year is an impact from inflation, you know, the cost to land the goods now with the container prices, which I, I know we've talked about before, but container prices still 10 times or more of what they used to be. So to land those goods in from China, I think, or wherever is expensive. Increase in energy costs, you say, just to run the warehouses. But interesting on the delivery driver, because for me, and I think we've had a conversation on it, maybe not on a podcast, but how much of a reflection that last mile delivery is on your brand, which is quite hard for you to control. Like you could have done a great acquisition piece, great website conversion, pick pack dispatch was really good, but then the courier threw it over a fence or just left mm -hmm. it by the back door, but it wasn't protecting it. It was pouring with rain, you know, and then so the box was just absolutely soaking. It's just so out of your control, but it has a massive impact, in my opinion, on 
how your business is perceived, the likelihood of someone repeat purchasing, and then puts huge demand on customer service as well. Oh, absolutely. And and that last mile delivery is, is definitely one that even the attitude of the drivers and the delivery team can impact you. We just had a couch delivered yesterday and one of the guys was great, my wife said, and he was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll fit this in. It's, you know, an eight, slightly over eight foot couch. And it was pretty easy into a front room through the front door. And one guy was like, oh, I don't know if we can get this in here. I don't know if we're going to be able to fit this in. And she goes, it was so weird, the contrast between the two where one is like, oh yeah, we'll deliver this and we'll succeed in what we're doing for you. And the other one was just so negative about the whole thing. And that perception, you know, obviously led her to tell me about it. But I mean, that is a brand perception that isn't controlled right now, to your point. And, you know, they fortunately arrived within and ahead of the time window, which was nice for the delivery, because nowadays we're getting like three to four hour windows, not like the one to two it used to be, because it's just not sure of what, especially with furniture. And I get that. But for me, it was like, they were early, which was a great brand perspective. Then we had just a good call to confirm it and the customer service able to find it right away, didn't have to wait on hold or anything. So there's aspects that you can control like you talked about, but then there's also the attitudes of the people who deliver it that set a perception for your brand that you have zero control over. Absolutely, yeah. I've had a similar thing where I had to have a new garage door fitted and I wouldn't, I, you know, I couldn't recommend them highly enough that the professionalism of the people that came out, they explained how they were going to do it, fitted it. There was even a problem that was outside of their control. We had a power cut and they couldn't test the door because it was electric. But, you know, nothing was too much hassle. They swept up, they cleaned after themselves. You know, they were precision. I compare that to some of the other work that I had done on the house last year and it was painful and it's still dragging on and, and you know exactly that and you're happy I mean, it's got to be the cheapest version of marketing isn't it you had a great job done and you're happy to tell everyone and then you had a terrible job and mm-hmm. you tell everyone as well so yeah, yeah. i think it's, it's a tricky one and and one we often well i've had a debate with a few owners on in terms of i appreciate you might sound saves 50 a pound a parcel by using a career that might not be premier league shall we call it but What's the impact mm-hmm. on the brand and the loyalty and the repeat purchase? You know, in this country, one of the ones, yeah, and they all have a blip. There's one called DPD, which typically is pretty robust and it's good. And they send you a text, right? You're being delivered. It'll be delivered today. And, and they sort of text you again. So your driver will be with you but in this hour slot. And you just feel like it's important to the business that you bought it from to deliver it properly where there are others and they are the ones that just toss it over the hedge and leave it here, there and everywhere. So yeah, I think yeah, it's a really interesting one we could probably just dedicate a whole a whole conversation to. Yeah. From your side, across the plethora of customers you've got, did Q4 turn out as expected? I suppose, and coupled with that, last yeah. time we, were, we caught up, we were sort of debating if Black Friday would be as big as expected. So if we combine those two. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that Q4, It turned out as expected. I know that some had an expectation of growth like we saw in 2020, but just I knew we wouldn't match that because we were forced into such a a rapid acceleration into e-commerce for so many organizations that depended on retail store. So from the numbers that I've been seeing from a U.S. specific side of things, it was anywhere from a 9 to 14% lift, depending on the different data sources that you can look at for 
2021 over 2020 for the holiday season. Now, there's a slight aspect of where you had a lot of brands and organizations who actually started their holiday sales in October in order to meet delivery shipping deadlines for on time by Christmas, just because of the logistical things that we were talking about a little bit ago and just other factors with manufacturing. So, you know, some of the normal reports that are looked at usually compare just November, December from holiday sales perspective. Now we're creeping even earlier into a lot of the big brands did October, beginning of October even, sales and pushing people to buy then. So that's where we're still looking through how to do that true comparison of where more sales were done a month earlier. So is it spread out that growth from that report perspective? But overall, I think one of the things that we can talk through is that there was an increase no matter what. It wasn't as big as 2020 because it was already people were now all shopping online because of the initial onset of the pandemic. But one thing that was really interesting that I found out and just really on the Black Friday side is that the Black Friday single day, and I attribute this to the earlier sales and everything, is it decreased from $9 billion in 2020 to $8.9 billion this year. So that to me is just a sign that it was impacted where people didn't wait for a specific day anymore to do their shopping. And I think that's just, again, we've trained everyone, hey, go buy online when you need to, and you're going to be able to get a deal on you know whatever you're purchasing at that point. So I think that high demand phase lasted longer than previous years in 2020. And it really is, we're starting to see a little bit of a decline from the high demand that we had back then. Yeah, I would say we saw a similar scenario. And I think definitely with a narrative that was coming around at mid-October when when there's this fuel shortage and everyone was sort of panic buying was exactly that. Well, if I want to get this product delivered because I buy it online, you know, is there going to be a panic? And there was narrative at the time where it was still a challenge getting stock into the country due to the container shortages mm-hmm. and yep. synchronization of the ship. So we, like you, definitely saw people buy. I was always sort of 5th of November is quite an important date over here for fireworks mm-hmm. night. Um, so that's always Christmas shopping would always typically go after that. We definitely saw people going, I want to buy that gift. I know they really want it. I don't know if they'll still have it in stock later in Q4. Yeah. I'm just going to get it now and spread it. So mm-hmm. we definitely saw the same. A couple of brands we saw still had a really good Black Friday, even though they were sort of starting to pull back because the stock was becoming tight. Um, But yeah, I I think a lot of people said, you and it's interesting, just coupled with that, the growing slight backlash, not even slight backlash to Black Friday and the impact on the world and the sustainability piece around that. So there's a lot, you know, I know there was a couple of brands where it just said, we don't believe in it and we're just shutting shop for the day. But I think others where they were saying, look, this is the deal, whether you buy it on Black Friday or not. These are our offers for November. So yeah, we definitely saw a flatter yeah. curve rather than the spike over um, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I think interestingly also, the brands didn't need to do the mega deals of old. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you saw, but I suppose where stock has been more limited to be able to obtain, there isn't the excess stock to then need to, or want to discount. So margin stayed higher. Although I imagine margin is being... Yeah. It will be a challenge or did start to be a challenge with higher container costs as you, and as you've already said, higher energy costs. So I'm sure margin is being squeezed, but it definitely for me, the discount seemed lower compared to previous years. Agreed. You had some of your typical companies 
stores that are just known for their discounting. I think they kept it just so that they didn't lose some of the normal business. But I think that there was a lot more, and, and we saw this even in 2020, due to stock and inventory, the lack of brand loyalty, where if you can find it in stock and it can ship before the date that you need it, especially with Christmas, that was one where we had a lot of people who stopped always shopping at the same place and really looked for where it was. And if it was a dollar, you know, a few dollars more expensive, they're willing to pay it. They weren't bargain hunting as much because it was the guarantee of, I will get it on time. Yeah. So I agree with what you saw as what I saw on our side here in, in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I would almost go as far as to say like 10 to 15 points lighter on discount as a sort of... Mm -hmm a rule of thumb across a myriad of different customers it was just definitely weren't as deep and it wasn't sort of carte blanche. It wasn't site wide. It was like, we'll do some discount on this product. As you said, almost to like those that are used to being known for their discount, they just, they didn't want to lose that. But yeah. I'd love to know if they went as deep on the product set as they would have done historically. Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting is the whole aspect of payments and e-commerce with especially the U.S. side of shopping is the the BNPL, the buy now, pay later model that has been kind of gaining in popularity the past couple of years. What we saw is that a third of U.S. shoppers missed a payment deadline and 50% of those shoppers overspent on their purchases, sometimes in multiple BNPL accounts. So we've got people who are going in because the BNPL companies are not doing background credit checks and everything like that for people who sign up for accounts. Low credit consumers are getting those accounts and getting the promise of, oh, I can buy this, but I can pay it later. Well, now they're not paying it. What's surprising is with that and the implementation of that across a lot of brands, it's not going away. BNPL is only going to grow in use. And actually out of all those consumers, over 62% are expected to increase their use of it in 2022. So it's going to be an interesting model in, in my mind with this BNPL of what's going to happen when it you know really comes down to are these companies writing off losses for products that were bought with BNPL? Are they going to go after and try and collect? And, you know, this it, it's through the BNPL company who say, hey, we're risk free. But now it's obviously starting to cause a problem for at least them if they're taking on all that risk. So that whole additional payment model, I think, is going to be one to really watch over the next year or two years of just the impact it really has on payment methods accepted and, and what consumers are growing accustomed to. Really interesting, because like you, we've seen a lot of movement in that space. And typically when the retailers are using that solution, we're seeing on average, you know, average order values are higher increasing conversion rate when it's available and interesting less returns it's almost it's almost like well i'm committing to buy this and pay yeah. it over a number of months so i'm buying it yeah i haven't heard of the missing payments so that's a really interesting insight from your side like you my understanding is if they do miss payments that isn't on the retailer that's on the bmpls to swallow in the year because effectively they're the ones that agreed on the credit but yeah if that becomes a issue you can see it's going to be coming <laughs> be going the other way so a really interesting one to monitor and i suppose there's been a bit of a backlash in this country of like is it too easy is it 
scoundrous mm. is it you know is like these payday loans and these scenarios is that it's not it hasn't got like an organizing authority at the moment over here so it's, it's not legislated at present i think they're pushing to drive that mm. forward so you know yeah. i think they're worried there's a little bit of loan sharking going on to a degree and i know and had some really good conversations with some retailers that morally they feel it's wrong to be offering these solutions which i absolutely mm. get but at the same time and you know I, we did a podcast with one of these providers you know if these people are buying it but can't afford to pay it off by end of month you know credit cards are then charging mm-hmm. them a nice 20 24 25 percent so it's this fine line isn't it whereas if you can offer them look buy it now and pay it over three months and that helps them with their cash flow in periods of covid furlough or, or just just being smarter with money then it seems to be a good solution but as you say, there's always people that go over there and push the boundaries. Um, so yeah, that's a really in- good insight. But you want to to watch and and hopefully it doesn't spiral and cause yeah. a change. But is there anything in Q4 2021 that really stood out for you that you would then say definitely want to bake that into my sort of Q4 2022 strategy? I would just say that, you know, the continued growth of e-commerce, the the customer expectation of being able to buy online from a brand is key because that is something that just, it's here to stay. It accelerated in 2020 and 2021, we started to see a bit of a refinement of some of the customer experiences. But I think that because of what we talked about earlier with what you can control and can't control with your brand's perspective, with your consumers, with that last mile delivery and just the customer service and honestly, the lack of workers in some aspects, that's where the continued focus is going to be. How do we ensure as much as possible that we have a great brand experience without the full control in certain areas. The other big thing I would say, and it was really at the very end of the quarter, was just after, well, formerly Facebook, now called Meta, made their big announcement of their push towards the metaverse and what's there. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with all these NFTs and all the retailers who are starting to push into the metaverse world. And I still don't believe that the market share is there yet from a consumer perspective, but it is growing. And I think that as we see potentially the rumored Apple VR headset this year is in the rumor mill right now, you've got continued dedication of growth to it. You're seeing big brands like Nike and Adidas going into that world and starting to put product there. Uh, You've got H&M who put up a whole VR metaverse store and announced that. Walmart even announced a potential shopping experience for groceries through virtual reality. That's where I think that we're starting to see in the end of 2021 Q4, a new directional push. And I think it's going to be the next wave of uh, what e-commerce is going to have to adapt to when it comes to the new digital experience that hasn't really been e-commerce focused yet outside of just normal app purchases. It'll actually be product purchases. And you've got now a mixture of both digital products and real life products. And there's even talk about how to have that digital product purchase be made, gifted to someone, and they could trade it in for a real life version of the same product. So it's gonna be a very interesting switch for how e-commerce businesses plan for what they do inside of this new reality. 
and and that's gonna be in that virtual reality metaverse world. I think it's still at the very very bleeding edge of opportunity. It is not a, a norm for everyone, so don't just go jumping into it right away. But it is going to be something that you do need to keep an eye on because there's all sorts of different things that are, that are happening there. But there's also too many different variations of metaverses. Which one do you go into? You can't go into all of them. Last I saw, there's a count of over 100 different ones you could go into. So I think you kind of need to let the let it settle. And, and I think it's kind of like the you know computer rush back in the 80s, 90s, where you suddenly had all these brands and then they started to kind of consolidate down over time. I think we're going to see the same thing with the metaverses where it's going to be the same thing. There's so many over 100 now. How does that come down and how does e-commerce really play into that? overall. So that'd be a big one just to watch. And then lastly, I would say just the learnings from what we saw with the trends right now in end of 2021 and Q4, I think that US e-commerce sales will cross a trillion for the first time in 2022. So I think that's really going to be that next milestone of crossing that threshold. Which is exciting, right? You think really, what is it? Very exciting. If it, but it's really got truly into stride. I mean, I remember e-com sites back as early as 96, but really it was around to late 90s, really around the 2000s. So yeah, to get to that revenue level that in that speed, I think is exciting. I think your view on the, the metaverse is, oh, yeah, I think it's exciting, but I, I'm going to show my age. Mm-hmm. It's almost a bit like that. Do you remember Betamax versus VHS? You know, it's like, which one are you yes. going to go down? Mm-hmm. And as, yeah. as you say, it's almost like you want to let, that work its way through to a degree rather than I remember people within 10 years ago, people going, I need an M dot website. You know, I'm going to go and build a mobile Mm -hmm. website and I'm going to have my desktop website. And pretty quickly we went to responsive and then there's people like, Oh, I just spent Mm -hmm. tens of thousands on, on a mobile version and a desktop version. So yeah, it's that fine line as you want to, you want to be leading edge, but also it's trying to really understand which, edge is going to take off but yeah what a great way to buy product i suppose what's the saturation of people with the vr with the appropriate technology to be able to use these and you know exciting and that's what we have to wait for yeah as i say so it is exciting that apple are going into it because it might mean that somehow they elevate the phones etc to help Mm -hmm. you in that world which yeah suddenly make it a massive move forward in in the devices available to utilize it yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the exciting thing, too, for that one trillion mark is that that was not forecasted to be reached as a milestone until 2024. So I mean, we're two years ahead now because of what acceleration happened in 2020 as well. So I think that's going to be kind of, you know, just a very interesting aspect of how fast do we now have other experiences also change that weren't expected to change as quickly. Yeah. I completely agree with you. One thing that still lingers in my mind slightly is how successful are the retailers being at converting the sort of the COVID cohorts where they acquired lots of new customers because that's the only way they could shop. How successful are they at turning those into loyal, repeat where applicable customers that buy and buy again? And I don't know if you're if you've seen that. I've I've looked at a number of businesses where they've acquired really, really well, but I'm not really seeing sort of the building of the lifetime value and the repeat purchase. I think they're still being sort of very focused on how do we drive more traffic? How do we find more new customers rather than that, finding that balance of 
oh, and now we've got this great customer. How do we get them to go on and be a great advocate and buy our product on, you know, on what is a regular mm -hmm. basis? Yeah, I would say that what I have seen here in the U.S. is a, a bigger utilization of loyalty programs to try and help keep those customers. And especially when the inventory problems hit was just, you know, having the brand and the consumer connect on rewards. And overall, I mean, from a statistical perspective, 75% of consumers favor companies that offer rewards. 56 stay with brands who get them and stay loyal. And so I think that's where a lot of the interesting things around data privacy and what is allowed to be done to truly market to people. And there's a lot of uh, disruption right now with the big tech giants and U.S. government who has legislation pending for some more protection around that. There's also an interesting result out of Austria with Google Analytics, you know, now being you know, said it's not allowed in the EU and it, it is not protecting privacy the way it's supposed to is, you know, there's going to be some shifts, I think, around that. But at the end of the day, while there's a lot of people pushing on the privacy side, I still don't see consumers turning off cookies or going in and clearing their cash. They want to be known because it's faster. It's a faster experience for them. And I think that that's going to be interesting to see how you've got people who are pushing for something that there's an aspect to needing some regulation around just to secure data and keep certain things, you know, private and, and, and not just blanketing it out and sharing it everywhere. But at the same time, if I want to be known to enhance my shopping experience and reduce my effort and increase my efficiency of being able to go in and say, hey, you know what? You know I've already bought those products from you. Don't keep marketing those same ones to me. I want that experience. And a lot of people have shown that they also do. So I think that's going to be interesting to see what that growth is. Because again, customer retention, uh, just by increasing that 5% can boost a company's profits anywhere from 25 to 95%. It's a huge aspect. So your existing customers are going to have to be something that you focus on. And when you have inventory shortages, that's the first, you know, crack in the foundation of that relationship that you have to make sure that you mend as quickly as possible. I completely, yeah, completely agree. I think it's how you manage customers' expectations that like we're working with a brand. And unfortunately, we ran out of stock after Black Friday. And, you know, it's not going to come back in until end of February, early March. But we've managed that expectation and people are, are pre-ordering knowing that they want the product so yeah which is a which is a perfect scenario but i think again it's just about managing and being upfront and being honest with the customer going to your point on cookie i mean obviously it's meant to be the year uh, that google might still pull that trigger on on the cookie change but i'm with you it's it's this real fine line because with that scenario we can't you a, a you can't personalize a shopping experience. You know, suddenly they can't recommend, oh, Tim, you might like this product, this product. They just suddenly show you, oh, here's some women's trainers. You're like, well, why is that relevant to me? But without that scenario, it's very, I think it's much harder for the retailers to be able to, to be more accurate and, and give the consumer a great experience. It needs the ability to be able to understand the customer, to be able to refine the experience. So I think it's, Mm -hmm. Do you see it sort of going all one way where the it's sort of like no, and then customers realize it's it doesn't give them a great experience, so then it sort of comes back to a halfway house? Or so I think it's just like obviously we're here right now, we collect cookies, and people 
in the main aren't. Mm-hmm. But in theory, isn't it this year that that Google supposedly is kicking this? There could yeah, so happen, but it's been delayed a year. So then we're yeah. in the story of like no cookies can be collected, etc., etc., etc. So then there's no ability yeah. to for the retailer to really understand, and then give it a year or twelve months. The customer goes, oh, this experience on this website's rubbish, and they go, well, we can't yeah. personalize it because we're not. I, yeah. I had to get my golf mind back in. It's it's That's winter right. for me, so I don't get to, to to go out and visit the halfway house as much. But uh, yeah, so we're we're definitely starting to see more questions asked by our clients, and and we've been trying to be a little bit more proactive about the upcoming change with cookies. However, because everything was pushed back from when it originally was all supposed to change, of course you get the standard. Oh, good, I've got time again. And so people aren't focusing on making the immediate change for it. I think a lot of it, we're still also waiting to see, which we haven't yet, a confirmed direction of what is going to be the next method. Because there was at least three different methods that were being discussed. Google's was Flock, the Federated Learning of Cohorts. And they were starting to aggregate some of that data down. They were making changes in Google Analytics with version four is, you know, still in beta in a sense where it's not being forced for everyone to move to and it still is lacking a lot of the features that universal analytics tracking has in the current version that almost everyone is utilizing so there's a lot of change that people have to go through for that and a lot of them didn't want to tackle that immediately and that's more of a wait and see aspect i feel a lot are waiting to just see what the true I have to do this versus the it's recommended you do this come down to. But we are starting to look at what are ways that we can look at just, you know, session based without a long term cookie store. How do we ensure that we push people to create my account logins and uh, getting their account actually with the company so that when they are on the site, they can log in. And now we know them from a different perspective than through just a cookie. So there's a lot of ways that we can already address that in the e-commerce space. It's when they're the anonymous browser that you only get a certain set of information now. And with that, it's just how do you change your marketing tactics to be more in the moment and encouraging the connection for them to share information so that you can continue a marketing plan to them? How do you get them to share their email? Or if they do order from you as a guest account, encourage the SMS sign up for uh, delivery tracking notifications. And now you can also potentially market to them if you give that clarity that, hey, you approved a market to me through SMS. Um, I, I think that is where you're gonna start seeing more focus from a lot more brands. A lot of the e-commerce platforms started adding some of those features to them. So I look at like Shopify and a few others where you have a bit more of that integrated into offer or can plug in and turn on so that you can start to capture and do that. So that's kind of where I think we're, we're still, I would say, approaching the halfway house as far as when the change is officially being needed, because it wouldn't surprise me if for some reason it got pushed out again, honestly. And so that's where we're, we're watching that. But it's also not this, we have to change it today. And if we did change it today, I feel that it's like a lot of other things when you jump on the early bandwagon that you might implement one method that then is never the actual end result of what's going into place. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you only have to look at GDPR in, in this territory of how some people went sort of whiter than white and then you know, they sort of, they went all the way out to like, and then, yeah, there's been a regression of, oh, there's a middle ground here that's, 
that's acceptable and 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 but still conforms to what the GDPR wanted. So, yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting one to watch and see how it progresses. Absolutely, it impacts so many areas too. I think that's where everyone is still on the technology platform side. I mean, look at like all the Adobe marketing products, at the Salesforce marketing products, etc. They all depend so heavily on the cookie base that they also have to make changes to their platform. So if you're on one of those main ones or if you're on a smaller one, like, I mean, MailChimp and some of the other platforms that are out there, HubSpot, et cetera, what are they doing to make changes and kind of look to follow their lead? Because again, most e-commerce brands are utilizing those tool sets. So follow your tool set and what they're doing because they're, they're the ones responsible for actually changing that. You need to understand it, though, because as a, a marketer, you need to understand what you have available to you in your different tool sets. So you still have to stay on top of it. But at the end of the day, it's also how your tool set is then tracking and doing that collection. Yeah, completely agree. It's never simple. It's always changing. <laughs> oh, if it only was, Al, if only it was. <laughs> Tim, as ever, it's been great catching up with you. And uh, we'll book another slot in very soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Al. Good talking with you. Take care. Thank you for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. If you like this episode, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us. While you're at it, please give us a rating and share this podcast with others to prepare them for the future. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lessons for Tomorrow. That's Lessons for TMRW. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I am your host, Tim Alanius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.